Tapping the Keg presents the Daily Tap podcast. We have a great show today, a loaded show. We are going to talk about the Green Bay Packers obviously stealing a victory from San Francisco. We are going to talk about the Milwaukee Brewers being the division champs of the National League Central. We're going to talk about the Badgers debacle this weekend. And we'll talk a little bit about the Ryder Cup at the very end with Whistling Straits playing host. All the city, the state does is fucking win, baby. And that is a lovely thing. But it looked like maybe for a hot second that the Green Bay Packers were going to have a all-time collapse. The Green Bay Packers have struggled on the West Coast. They've struggled in in Levi Stadium. They've had some bad, bad losses there. And it looked like another one was kind of coming. Uh, it looked like a bad loss to a Niners team that I called the biggest rival for the Green Bay Packers earlier this week. And part of the reason I called them that is because A, always the games felt important, but B, you've had a lot of years ended by the 49ers. And you've seen your season go to shreds because of the Niners, whether it's in the playoffs or you know seeding in the regular season. But the Green Bay Packers got it done when it mattered the most. It was 37 seconds. They had no timeouts. Aaron Rodgers got the guys down the field. Devontae Adams was that dude for those two plays. And then they set up a game-winning field goal by Mason Crosby, who continues to be nails. The guy comes through in the clutch. He's now made, I believe, 26 straight field goals. It's just unbelievable. Like It's why you cheer for sports. You ask yourself, why why do I cheer before it goes in, right? You, You have this meaning of, I can't believe that this is what I put myself through every night. You feel like you kind of went to war. Uh, with the Packers, and to get out of there with a victory is unbelievable. After really looking like you were going to blow this game, you had you had a 17 point lead. Aaron Rodgers was 70 and one in games. Now he's 71 and one in games where he had a 17 point lead. Now I don't know if there were many moments where Aaron Rodgers had the the game court sort of snatched out of his hands. Now, the refs had a lot to do with it, and we're going to talk a lot about the refs. And I do think it played a factor. Unfortunately, the refs made them a part of the story. I don't like talking about the refs, but they did make themselves a part of the story. But even then, the Packers had the resolve. They had the gumption to just press on and block out the noise and not let the refs and everything else that was going on get to them. They didn't let the noise of a rabid... San Francisco crowd bothered them. They were just in their zone. They knew what they had to do. They got it down for Crosby to get that field goal. And that says so much about the resolve of this Packer team. Two, three weeks ago, we were talking about how this team embarrassed themselves against New Orleans. And maybe we will never know what actually happened in that game. Maybe they were hung over from the night before. Who the fuck knows, right? Because that team that we saw three weeks ago in New Orleans, or I'm sorry, in Jacksonville, is not the team we're watching today. Like that team, the Packers are one of the best in football. And they showed it tonight. They showed it with their dominant first half performance, both offensively and defensively. And I know the defense had some issues in the second half. And I 
I don't know if that is just a Joe Barry thing. I don't know if that is Kyle Shanahan making the adjustments because Kyle Shanahan is one of the best coaches in football. He's going to make adjustments. He's not going to just sit on his hands. And the Niners offense is a hard one to keep down. Even with their issues at running back, they still have a lot of dudes there. And at some point, they're going to eat. At some point, they're going to find themselves. And that's kind of what happened. So I'm not ready to throw a lot of shit at Brady. I, or I'm sorry, Barry, not Brady. Uh, because I just don't... I, I think he pl- did all right. And we'll get to star ratings later. But the Green Bay Packers did not ever think they were going to lose that game. And I think there have been moments in the last... The tail end of the McCarthy era. The beginning of the LaFleur era. Where if the Packers kind of faced adversity, they crumbled. They and they did not tonight. They did not. They did not crumble in with when the backs were against the wall. They stood up and said, All right, motherfucker, we're gonna take this and we're gonna win this football game. And that to me is a major change in what we've had with the Green Bay Packers the last few years. They did not let that adverse adversity bother them. They went in there and won the football game. And I, I'm just really impressed. I, this is one of the best wins for the Packers in the LaFleur era. Simply put, like this, this is one that you will remember. This, as I said to Mitch on Wednesday, when I picked the Packers to lose, you know, whatever. Aaron Rodgers said it after the game. Many of you picked the Packers to lose. I picked the Packers to lose on Thursday's Tabbing the Keg. And when I did, I said, look... I gave the reasons why I felt a little bit better about it. I, I bet the spread, but I didn't bet the money line because I was a pussy, okay? Like, I'll be honest. Like, I had a decent day, but I was like, you know what? Just the spread, the over, I wasn't that confident in the team. I, I really wasn't because this was a scheduled loss. This was a loss that I had chalked up to the Green Bay Packers losing because it was San Francisco. It was a rabid fan base. It's a very good team. It's not easy to win there. And the Packers got it done. And they're two and one, like I expected them to be. Just it's a little bit different. They, they won in San Francisco, lost against New Orleans, and that's just the change. Okay, so two and one is still two and one, and now you head into your next part of your schedule. You're almost at your your next part. You have Pittsburgh here in, in week four, and then you're a quarter way sort of through the season. Now, seventeen games fucks that up a little bit, but you you get my point. And so the Packers have every right to be feeling good. And yeah, the Rams look like they're on another level right now, early on in this season. They were very impressive with Tampa Bay. But how can you not say what the Packers have is not at the same level, maybe maybe not at the level of the Rams, but, but they're getting there. They're getting closer and closer. And Green Bay fought like hell tonight, and that was such a good victory. That, that one is going to feel so good. No matter how the season goes, you will still kind of remember Green Bay finding a way to dig deep and get it done. And with all the bullshit that was around the refs, it, it was incredible they won this game. Because Jerome Boger had it out for Matt LaFleur. Like, I, I, I'm not one to like dogpile the refs. I, I'll bitch about a ref here and there. But I... I tend to not be that guy to just complain about the refs as like the reason that the Packers lost. But if the Packers were to lose tonight, 
I would have put this game on the officials. There's no way you couldn't. Because really, they gave them 14 points. The reason that the Niners were in this game was because of the officiating. Jimmy Garoppolo should have been called for an intentional grounding at the end of the first half. He wasn't called for it. It should have been a field goal. And the Niners should have been at 17-3 to to start the game. Now, they might have got a touchdown again, and it was 10. But then they had another drive where it was a 35-yard pass interference call. That was nothing. That was a blatant bad call from the officials. And then they missed the helmet-to-helmet to Devontae Adams, which looked extremely dangerous. And it was just not the finest hour from Jerome Boger. And you saw the clip uh, NBC had after the halftime of Matt LaFleur ripping into Jerome Boger and his staff and basically telling him off. And it's almost like Boger and his staff took that personally. Like there is a difference between sometimes coaches, you know, work the refs and start getting calls. You see that with Belichick. You've seen that. You see it more in basketball, but like Popovich or Coach K, where they kind of work the refs and they grind the refs like a pepper shaker. And they at some point, the refs kind of flip how they're calling the game. Like that's part of coaching. But it's apparent that Boger and his crew were sick of LaFleur's shit because it, it looked like they were taking it personal. The trip call against Adrian Amos was fucking ridiculous. That was another one. The roughing the passer with Jair Alexander. It, it seemed like they were doing everything in their power to fuck the Packers. It, and that was... And it, it was terrifying. Like, every time the Packers were on defense, I'm like, I'm looking for the flag. Like, I... And that's why the field goal that the Packers had to go up six was infuriating in its own right because I'm like, okay, how can you trust this defense with the way this is being officiated? And part of it, my defense of Joe Barry a little while ago is like, I think these guys were playing a little scared. They were worried about all these flags. It was absolutely embarrassing by Boger. And Boger should not be allowed to do a primetime game. Like the league has to be embarrassed by that because I think they're going to get ripped tomorrow. I, I really do think it's going to be a talking point. It might not be a talking point on every show, but like Colin Coward, who is not always uh, persona non grata for the Green Bay Packers. Actually, I don't know if that's even right. Persona non grata. I, I think that's like you're welcome or is it persona grata? I don't know. I, this is a bad moment in, in grammar and vocabulary and phrases Let's see here. Yeah, persona non grata. That is Colin Coward. I was right. It is an unwelcomed person or unacceptable person. Yeah, Colin Coward, sometimes persona non grata with the Packer faithful, but he was all over the officials the entire night. And I expect Coward to probably go after him tomorrow and probably go in pretty hard. And that, that sucks for the league. That's not what the league wants. The league does not want the officials to be front and center. And they were tonight. And that's bad. And that to me is is everything I need to see that Jerome Ber- Boger should be like Kevin Kugler and Mark Sanchez games. Like that's what they should get. And no, not a dig at those guys, but they just, they get the shit games, right? That's what Jerome Boger should be calling games. Like he should be the Spiro Ditas game. Like that to me is what Jerome Boger should be calling the rest of the season. Jerome Boger should not be calling anything of significance. It, that was an absolute joke. And he should be embarrassed. Like he should look at it and say, I didn't do my job tonight. And I hope that the officials are a little forthright about it. I 
They don't really do the two-minute reports like the NBA, which is a bummer. And the NFL just kind of is like, whatever, you guys will not worry about this. But I t- I'll tell you what, if, if the officiating's bad tomorrow, Dallas and, and Philly, it, again, it'll be an even bigger topic. I don't think the officiating has been that good this season in general. I think I thought there were a lot of bad calls in that Chargers-Chiefs game. Uh, I think the Chargers got an extended series because of a, of a pass interference on fourth down late in that game. And I, I just... I don't know. I, I haven't been that impressed with the officials really all season. And I know that that's, it's like an always talking topic. We always talk about like bad tackling and we talk about, you know, the, so the taunting calls obviously was a big thing for people last week, but it just seems like the officials are not fully there and I, I don't really get it and hopefully it'll get better, but it was a joke tonight. And as I said, they should be embarrassed. And lastly, before we go to star ratings, I just want to shout out the the people who thought Aaron Rodgers wasn't invested in this season. Because, man, do you look fucking stupid. That, to me, is one of those takes where you wish you had it back. To say, oh, Aaron Rodgers isn't all in. Um, I know Ben Bruss has been saying it on Scalzo and Bruss, which is, to me... One of the best radio shows in Milwaukee. It's like them and Bart Winkler. Like if I could have Bart Winkler in the morning, we'll figure out in the midday, maybe myself, and then Scalzo and Brust, I think we'd be smooth sailing for local radio. But Ben Brust has been playing up this whole thing about Aaron Rodgers not being all in. And I think what I would ask Ben Brust if I was his partner on Monday Monday afternoon would be like, motherfucker, does he look all in? Does he look all in here? Because I, I think this is a guy who's all in. And so all of that can be put to rest. Like the Packers kind of being that team in the NFC North has been established. Yeah, the Vikings had a nice win at home today against a good Seattle team. Like that was a good win for the Vikings. And that's what the Vikings do when they have the fans at home. Like they are really, really tough to beat. And they found something defensively in the second half. Like... The Seattle team had 17 points early. They were up 17-7. I think the Vikings rail off 23 unanswered and win that game. That's that's big boy football right there for the Vikings. But the Packers are still the cream of the crop in the NFC North. And they might be one of the best teams in the NFC in general. It's the Rams, Bucks, and Packers. But I'd argue the Packers might, be, might look a little bit better than the Buccaneers. The Buccaneers, to me, look extremely vulnerable on defense. They have to figure out their cornerback position. That That is a sieve. I had the Rams all the way. I wish I put more money on the Rams. I felt so good about the Rams today. And I felt good from basically Jump Street. I was like, A, it's a look-ahead game. B, it's like, who have you played? You've played absolutely no one. You are not, you're not a real person right now. We do, you don't look real here. And that's why I went, I, I went with the Rams and I felt so good about it. And they are, right now, they're the best team in the NFC, but it's three weeks in. There's a long way to go. We have so much football left to be played. I know it's crazy. And, I, and honestly, if we would have started out one and two, I would have probably opened and said, look, the Chiefs are one and two too. And I'd argue the Packers look like they're in a better position than the Chiefs because of 
Just there seems to be less holes. This game was a dumb one because of the officials. And yes, the defense needs to get better at third and longs. And they got to they gotta fix that immediately because that's seemingly a problem now. Now that is the problem with the defense. First it was no pressure. Now it's we can't st- get, get off the field. And they need to learn how to get off the field. And so I don't know what Joe Barry has to do, but it, it, it's not good. That, that part of it needs to get fixed. But yeah. One and two is not a death sentence. Packers have been one and two before. And even two and two would be not a death sentence. But Pittsburgh does not look like the scary Pittsburgh team I think we all saw when it was on the schedule. The defense is okay, but they're a little bit banged up corner-wise. And they don't have T.J. Watt at this point. Now, they might have T.J. Watt next week. I'd imagine being in Wisconsin, the storyline of T.J. Watt Kevin King getting picked over T.J. Watt. I would believe T.J. Watt will try everything in his power to play next week. But again, it doesn't look as severe because Pittsburgh's offense just looks awful. They can't run the football. Big Ben looks really old. And it, it, there's a lot of questions, I think, about what where the Steelers' future is and whether it is Dwayne Haskins' time. I don't think it's Dwayne Haskins' time next week, but you never know. Um, and so it'll be interesting. But yeah, that game to me looks a lot easier than it did four weeks ago. And not, no game in the NFL is easy per se, but it's it's a game the Packers should win. And I'm, I imagine they're going to be favored by four or five. And I think that's the right line for Green Bay. Let's go on to star ratings. Um, if you're not familiar, this used to be a blog of mine. I brought it to the podcast mostly because we're podcast first these days and not a ton of people listened um, to the, or not listen, to read. People listen, which I appreciate. Um, Rate, review, subscribe while you're at it. Um, I'd really appreciate those too. Um, But not a lot of people would read the star ratings and I'd dump all this time in it. I'd write a bunch and I was like, all right, we're done doing this in written form. We're going to just do this in the podcast and bring it into the Monday show when we're talking Packers. So we go from five to one, five being the best, just like you would rate a restaurant, just like you'd rate a movie and one being the worst. So think of it as five stars, the Godfather. Think about one as Dear Evan Hansen. Although movies go off four, not five, but I'd hope you not you wouldn't fact check me on that. It's late, as the part of my take boys always use the late excuse. Like it's midnight here. I can't believe I'm podcasting and I have a long way to go with this show. But my first five star goes to Devontae Adams. Devontae Adams had a stellar day, 12 catches, 132 yards, and a touchdown. Tay was awesome today. Um, he he was kind of in his bag. And I, I feel like we haven't seen this Devontae Adams yet this season. And he loves showing up on primetime. I think this was, what, his eighth straight primetime game with a touch or eight straight Sunday night game with a touchdown. He abused the young corners of San Francisco and just absolutely went to work. And if there's any doubt of who is the top wide receiver in this game, it's Devontae Adams. And he showed it tonight. He did it in a variety of ways. He made big catches when it mattered down the stretch. And it was just a masterclass from Devontae Adams and why it's such a joy to cheer for him and why it was so scary when he had that hit from Jimmy Ward and it, it looked like maybe a concussion. And that that just broke 
broke your heart temporarily because you just like are you fucking kidding me man are we really gonna have to go through maybe a week two weeks without tay and the end of this game as it's close as it's coming down to the wire and thankfully tay was all right and um mvs did blow a hamstring gasket which isn't good um that's that's not not good at all but yeah great day from Devonte adams i really was impressed with a lot of the stuff he did he had one drop but i'm not going to hold that against him uh, the other five star goes to the offensive line maybe adam stefanic i gotta work on pronouncing his name stenovich i think it's stenovich sorry adam stenovich uh, definitely deserves a ton of credit. Uh, they started Josh Nyman, and I thought for sure that that wasn't the right move. I thought, okay, they'd go Dennis Kelly tonight. They didn't go with him. They went with Nyman. Now, this has been a guy that they've been developing for the last two years. He looked really rough in the preseason game against uh, Houston. And so I, I didn't know what to expect facing Nick Bosa. That first series was really rough. It's like, oh my God, this is going to be a problem all game. And then he got settled in and he he balled out. And they played really, really good. That offensive line gave Rodgers a ton of protection against a vaunted San Francisco front line that really didn't look vaunted at all. Nick Bosa was a factor early, but he kind of went away as, as the game went on. Eric Armstead was heard maybe once or twice, but again, not much. Same with Kinlaw. Kinlaw made, I think, one or two big plays, but not a game-breaking sort of thing. Fred Warner, same shit, right? So they they did what they had to do, and they were really good on the ground. Like, they, the Packers didn't run the ball enough. They should have ran the ball a lot more against this 49ers defense. They ran, I mean, Jones ran... 19 for 82 and a touchdown. AJ Dillon six for 18. So in total, they ran 25 times. I mean, they guess they were pretty balanced. I may take that back. Pass the ball 33. They ran the ball 25. It didn't feel like they ran the ball 25, but they 2,500 yards, four yards a carry. That's pretty good. They were pushing guys around when they wanted to, and it was a real joy to see. And I think it caught Chris Collinsworth off guard. He couldn't believe this young offensive line was kind of coming into their own. And big night from John Runyon, big night from Royce Newman, big night from Josh Myers. And Billy Turner continues to kind of be the unsung hero. Like the guy's out there every game. He doesn't really have a lot of, you know, plays where you're like, God damn, Billy Turner. Like Newman had one of those. Neiman had one of those. But not nothing from Billy Turner, man. And he's kind of an underrated really good player for the Packers and he showed it again tonight so yeah offensive line definitely a five star across the board there four stars Devondre Campbell man a guy I was really critical of week one and even a little bit into week two because he had that play against Hawkinson where he got beat but he's he's looking like a stud man it's looking exactly what the Packers wanted remember that the Packers talked about how Joe Barry was going to bring a Fangio-style defense to town. And one of the things you need is a rangy linebacker. And Campbell is exactly that. Like, Campbell was in Arizona last year. He started every game, but I don't think anybody would know who Devondre Campbell was if you asked last year. If you asked at the start of, or middle of last year, right? Like, November 11th. You'd be like, hey, point out... Point out who Campbell is on Arizona. You wouldn't be able to, right? And this guy just comes in, and now he's been a real factor for the Packers. Like, he is probably, right now, 
not exaggerating, what, the third maybe most important Packer defender, right? Would you say that? Maybe fourth? Like, on the field right now, it would probably be him, Kenny Clark, Jair Alexander, Preston Smith, Rashawn Gary. I'll, I'll, like, do a slash. So those two together. So those probably are the most important Packers on the defense. And Campbell, I don't think, was considered that by a lot of fans at the start. And a lot of people, including myself in week one, was like, here we go. It's the same shit with Christian Kirksey. Guy who's old and slow and just can't keep up. He can keep up. He made a lot of plays down the stretch against Detroit, and he made a ton of plays tonight. Uh, He should have had an interception. It was too bad. But, man, keeps stepping up, keeps being a stud for this team. And I'm really excited to see what Green Bay can do with a real middle linebacker. We'll get to linebacker depth, though, a little later in this star ratings. Also, Aaron Rodgers deserves a star rating. He deserves a four-star. The reason I'm going to go four, not five, for Rodgers, who had an incredible day, 23 of 33, 261 yards, two touchdowns, only had one sack, a quarterback rating of 113 for Rodgers. I went four stars just because of the overthrows. Like I still think he's missing some passes. The overthrows continue to be an issue. I don't know if that is a feat thing. I don't know if that is he just doesn't have his timing yet because of the lack of offseason work. I'm not sure. At some point, that's going to fix itself. But it, it's still a, a blind spot right now for Rodgers because this team could be a little bit better with Rodgers being just a little more accurate. And his accuracy isn't really hurting the team, but it's certainly not helping things, especially when you had a couple drives where you stopped running the football and it was pass, pass, pass. Now, is that LaFleur? Is that Rodgers? We don't know. Um, but that if you're going to be pass, 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 and you're going to ignore the run, you gotta you got to convert. Like You can't just, just throw the ball and be overthrowing guys by multiple yards. That just can't happen. And so that part needs to get better from Rodgers, but it was a really good game. 37 seconds left from his own 25, taking it down the field to get a field goal is legendary shit. There are only, what, probably three or four quarterbacks that can do that. Maybe Mahomes, maybe Brady. I don't even know if I'd put Stafford in there. Some might say to put Stafford in there, but would you even? I don't know. I think right now it's Brady, Mahomes, and that's it. And Mahomes had a chance to kind of do that was a little different he needed six instead of three and he couldn't get it done today so you kind of just see the difference right if you look at the top quarterbacks who was who stood out josh allen was incredible today against the football team uh he easily has the belt in terms of the best quarterbacks like it's allen then i think it's probably rogers or stafford one or the two i don't have numbers in front of me and then maybe, honestly, Kirk Cousins. Like I, I think he had a really good day against Seattle. So, and you you have to mention it. Like you have to give him credit. Like he was good tonight. Um, so we'll see. Um, but Rodgers was really strong, and like I said, he looked looked pretty invested there on the sidelines. And as I said earlier, he looked pretty invested on the sidelines when Mason Crosby made that kick. Three stars, got to give it to Jair Alexander. Jair Alexander made a hell of an interception um, that was really strong. Looked like a center fielder out there. Looked like Lorenzo Cain. But he had some moments tonight that were weird. He allowed a touchdown to Brandon Ayuk. He had a couple third down conversions that were allowed. He just needs to be a little bit better. Like, 
this was not his best game. And I, I think part of it was, I don't know if it was the matchup. I don't know if it was that he was doing a little bit different stuff where he was being asked to guard, defend more and move around and maybe a little bit out of position. I don't know. But this was not a premier Jair Alexander lockdown game. I would not say he locked down Debo Samuel. He locked down Brandon Ayuk. Like they had, they ate today, and Alexander just needs to do a little bit more. He just needs to be a little more of that dude, and and that's gonna happen. Like whatever. Like it's not the end of the world. It's not like I'm like, oh, Jair played such a shitty game. Like do we have to worry about him? No, it's just he he had a few moments where he allowed allowed things to get through that he shouldn't have, and that he typically doesn't. Another three shot star was for Rashawn Gary, and the reason I'm putting it at three stars is because man, Rashawn Gary had an awesome series, and it was just looked like the best player on the football field. He looked like a Miles Garrett level awesomeness. Like Miles Garrett had four and a half sacks against the Bears today. Like that's the kind of disruption he was. He was bringing to the table. And then that was the only time we really saw Rashawn Gary be a complete beast. And so I just need more consistency. And maybe it's a snap count thing. I don't know. I haven't, don't have the snap counts in front of me. But like we just need more from Rashawn Gary. We need that every time out. And so if, if he's saving it, if it's just sort of what we've seen from Gary in the past, I don't know. But I need a little bit more from Rashawn Gary because that series that series was awesome. I just want to see that all the time versus just every now, every once in a while or once once a game. Two stars. I'm gonna give that to the NBC broadcast. Man, was that bad bad today at certain points. I I just I love Alan Chris. NBC games are my favorite Packer games of the mix out of NBC, CBS. We'll get next week. Uh, ESPN or Fox. I love the NBC crew. Al Michaels is my favorite broadcaster. I'm going to miss him like hell if he retires after this year. He is, to me, the greatest. Like he is, the, he is the guy that I grew up with. Him and Brett Mossberger. I love Brent. I still love Brent. And those two are my guys. They will always be my guys in terms of broadcasting. That said, I thought the game from like Collinsworth's end was a little weird. Felt at times he was kind of filleting Kyle Shanahan just like everybody else does. Was like, well, it's, you know, Kyle Shanahan, he is a magician sometimes. It's like watching a magic show out there, which is, I think, what Collinsworth said. My Collinsworth impression, by the way, is getting really good. Like, I I have a good Phil Sims. Well, Jim, Jim, you know, it's you just you got to make the plays. I don't know. I my Phil Sims is lacking because I don't do it as much anymore. Cause but my fucking Collinsworth is good. Like I cannot wait to unveil that to my dad. My because I, I my dad and I would always talk like Phil Sims because I lived with him during when I kind of refined that. And he he fucking loved it. It made him laugh all the time. So of course, like play the hits. Like you want to make your pops laugh. So I'm gonna definitely have to show the Collinsworth to him because I, I think I got it. But anyways, so he was all over that. Then there was a weird, like, Kyle Shanahan, Bill Walsh comparison that I fucking hated. Because, like, Bill Walsh is the godfather of West Coast football. 
Bill Walsh is why Andy Reid won a Super Bowl. Kyle Shanahan is not even close to Bill Walsh. Kyle Shanahan can't even sniff Bill Walsh's jock. Like Bill Bill Walsh is a mastermind of football and has multiple Super Bowls. Kyle Shanahan has gotten to one Super Bowl. Kyle Shanahan has blown a 28 to 3 fucking lead in a Super Bowl. Now offense coordinator, not head coach. But still, I you cannot crown his ass like that. You just can't. He doesn't have a coaching tree that resembles Bill Walsh's. Bill Walsh's coaching tree is legendary. And he, like, so I just, I was so offended by that. I was like, this guy is a good coach. He's a really good coach. He's just not as good as everybody says he is. It's, it's kind of like, it's kind of like that restaurant that people love and people will always bring up. But it's it, at the end of the day, it's just not good. Kind of, it, it, I, I need a better comparison. But like, there's a lot of Bel Air Cantina energy from Kyle Shanahan. Where like, if you talk to somebody who might just look up things in Milwaukee, they'd be like, oh, we'll go to Bel Air. We'll get ta- street tacos there. That's great. And it's like, there are hundreds of taco places you could go to that are much better than Bel Air. Some that are holes in the wall on the south side of Milwaukee. But that to me is a little bit of Kyle Shan. I gotta get better. That there's a better comparison there. It's maybe like it's maybe like a steakhouse and and you hear about a steakhouse, but in reality, sometimes places like the Noble, who isn't known for steak, they just have steak on the menu every night and it's amazing and it's the best beef you'll have in Milwaukee. That that's that's where it is to get steak. You don't need to go to Rare. You don't need to go to Carnivore to have like this awesome steak experience. You can have it somewhere just like an, a noble, okay? So my Kyle Shanahan, I guess, slander, if you will. And that was weird. I thought the sometimes the broadcast about the penalties was a little weird, sort of making it seem like, well, the Packers were only here because of the penalties and the Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, Jimmy Garoppolo stuff was bizarre too. I, I don't know. I was just a weird broadcast from NBC and they usually are one of the best. It was just not their night. Kyle Shanahan and Matt LaFleur's relationship also gets a two star. Boy, they did not have a friendly handshake after the game. And during the week, Matt LaFleur mentioned that there was no ill will between the two coaches they they were like nope we're good like i'm not mad about any of the stuff that happened with aaron Rodgers over over the uh the off season and then they had a very icy handshake after the game so mike silver uh, a couple days ago said this and said on wednesday pat matt lafleur said no ill will with his longtime friend but the Rodgers situation caused a lot of drama between LaFleur, Shanahan, their mutual, friend, mutual friends, and coaching colleagues last spring. One story in particular, which took place on the first night, night of, dra- of the draft, underscores that strain. So Silver tells this whole story about how the 49ers offense coordinator is shooting the shit with Robert Salah and Ma- Mike LaFleur, Matt's brother, who are both at the Jets, kind of talking about the picks 
Kyle comes in, it's kind of they're busting balls, whatever. And Kyle's like, don't take our quarterback because we haven't scouted Zach Wilson. And then Mike LaFleur retorts and says, what do you mean? You've already got your quarterback. LaFleur replies to Shanahan, Aaron Rodgers. Shanahan tried to brush it off as a joke and saying, hey, tell your brother to call me back. He hasn't returned my calls. LaFleur's response was, can you blame him? And then they said at that point, Shanahan got visibly upset and left the room. In his eyes, he is merely doing his due diligence to the franchise, but it was clear to Matt LaFleur that it was viewed differently. The fact that LaFleur, or sorry, the fact that Rodgers and Niners GM John Lynch, Sharon agent David Dunn, contributed to this perception that there was a coordinated effort to get the Rodgers from the Packers to the Niners and to Mike LaFleur, blood is clearly thicker than water. So these guys don't fucking like each other anymore. And that handshake was absolutely what it was an indication of it. Those guys are not going to be exchanging Christmas cards anytime soon. There is ill will. Kyle Shanahan also was part, seemed more upset than LaFleur. Those guys are not in a good spot right now as friends. And Pete Prisco was like, come on, they're friends. This is ridiculous. And they're like, yeah, sometimes friends fight. He's like, yeah, not like that. Like that was, that was real cold. And you want to add to this rivalry? I had already said to you, like, this is the best rivalry for the Packers. Like this is their number one rival. You add in the fact that coaches don't like each other? Okay, now. Now we're really talking. Now we're getting to a whole other level that it goes beyond football. And that, to me, is when rivalries are real. Like, when they go beyond just the games that we play, that's that's the shit right there. So I am all for this. I um, really love it. Love it. Uh, we're already almost 40 minutes in, and we haven't even got to our two other topics. Whoo boy. All right, really quick. One star is the refs. We talked about them. They sucked. Jerome, Bo- Jerome Bo- Boger can kick fucking rocks. Depth at linebacker. I really don't want to see Ty Summers out of the field again. All right, like end the tweet. Like that's that's it. Like that's that's the statement on the depth of the linebacker position. Chris Barnes is a concussion. Probably going to be down next week. You really can't roll out Ty Summers, can you? Like. That's where we're at, huh? That Ty Summers is the backup to these guys. Now, the Packers apparently were on the phones after week one trying to trade for a wide uh, middle linebacker. Excuse me. I would imagine they're going to pick up those phones again. Maybe Jamie Collins is a guy that they look at. I know he's been available for trade per the Lions. It'd be weird to trade in her division. I don't know how much Jamie Collins has left. He, feels, he basically feels like another Christian Kirksey. I realize we said that about Campbell too, but Jamie Collins, in fact, is old and does look slow at times. So unsure what they will do there, but I do think that the Packers need to make a move for a linebacker. So it would be awesome to get Collins in there because Ty Summers just isn't cutting it. I'm sorry. It seems like a nice guy. He plays a pretty good special teams, but he is not. He is not a starting linebacker in this league. And I, even though Pittsburgh's defense or Pittsburgh's offense is trash, I can't have Ty Summers out there next next Sunday. All right. Let's talk about the other things that happened in this state uh, this weekend because it was a loaded weekend. The Milwaukee Brewers earlier in the day 
win the National League Central Division title, uh, 8-4 win over the New York Mets. Brewers got runs early, and then they hung on. They got some insurance runs in the sixth inning, and the rest was history. Josh Hader was great in the ninth in a non-save situation, struck out the first two batters, then got a guy to pop up, Tilde Yelich, and the Brewers are division winners, and that feels really good to say. This team has shown what they can do all season. Now, September hasn't been great for them, but I'd argue they were just kind of biding their time. They were just trying to do as little as possible and get ready for October, trying not to get hurt, trying to not sort of, you just don't, you know, the thing thing about it is you're just not in the same mindset when you have that large of a lead. Talk to the Chicago White Sox about that. They've been mediocre down the stretch here, and it really is because they have had nobody pushing them. And even when the Cardinals were coming in hot, they were kind of like, so what? We still have this thing wrapped up. We don't have to worry about you guys. And they still don't have to worry about them. And it's really been an impressive run for the Brewers. I don't think Craig Council will win manager of the year. Probably going to go to Gabe Kapler. I mean, they won 100 games after not being in the playoffs last year. I think Gabe Kapler rightfully deserves it. But Craig Council did a great job with this team. And they were not... They did not look like a playoff team in middle of May. They had had a really rough start to May. I think a lot of us were wondering where this season might go. And they bring in Willie Adamas. And even then we were like, well, they got rid of one of their best relievers in Fire Rising. And David Stearns is trying to bail himself out of the shortstop position. And yet we were all wrong. Because Willie Adamas led the spark, led the charge. And all of a sudden the Brewers started playing some real baseball. And the offense started to kind of cook like the like the pitching staff was. And now the Brewers look like one of the best teams in baseball. I mean, they can win the World Series. With the combination of pitching and hitting, they can win the World Series. It's not going to be easy. It's going to be like pulling teeth. Playoff baseball is easily the worst of the four sports because it hinges on every pitch. Literally from pitch one to the final out in the ninth inning, it, it you are in the blender and anything can change. And I'll actually be fortunate enough to go on Friday uh, if all things work out with the job, fingers crossed, and heading, heading to game one is an awesome way to start a what should be a great October. And the Brewers have done so much here this season and it's been a really impressive run it's been a really fun season. This is easily as fun of a baseball team as we've we've had in the city. Really, maybe since 2011, honestly. Like, the 2018 team was good, and they were fun. But I don't know. There, There's just something about this team that it feels a little different than that. It, it does have, to me, it carries more of a vibe of that 2011 team. Where it, it just... They, they look like one of the best. And I, I think in 18, the Dodgers were so good. And it, it just seemed like the Brewers weren't at that level. And they weren't, and they almost were. I mean, they took them to seven games. They couldn't win the last one. It was at home. But now the time is there. And the time is there for them to either exercise their demons against the Dodgers or beat the Giants. And I, I feel good about bo- both teams. The Dodgers are a juggernaut. And some people will be like, you don't want to face the Dodgers in the 
championship series. I kind of do. I kind of want the revenge. I want the home field um, because the, the Dodgers are going to be the wildcard team, which some might say is crazy. And it gets to, to me, what I say is fuck off because winning your division matters. Unfortunately, the Dodgers are playing in a division where the Giants have 100 wins. There's nothing you can do. And it sets up an amazing Giants and Dodgers series, potentially, if the Dodgers can stop the buzzsaw that is the St. Louis Cardinals. I don't know if anyone can. And what if it's the Cardinals? Would you, you know, there would be that nervousness about the Cardinals, I will admit. But you got to get past the Braves first or the Phillies. And the Braves, the Braves are a better team than the Phillies, but in a weird way, the Phillies scare me more. If that, And I'm sure that doesn't make sense to you, uh, but... The Phillies just have a bunch of guys that kind of kill the Brewers and that are, have been thorns in the side. I don't know if I would classify any of the Braves as like, wow, that guy is a Brewer killer. That guy has put up some big numbers against the Brewers in the past. Or a pitcher on the Braves staff comparable to like Zach Wheeler, right? Where Zach Wheeler has dominated the Brewers. And I would not want to have to deal with Zach Wheeler. And yet with the Braves... They have some pitching. I mean, they have Ian Anderson. They have Max Freed. They have Charlie Morton. Like, they, they have a decent staff. But there's no one outright on the Braves where I'm like, wow, that's a real problem. The only thing I might worry about with them is that they kind of screw you with, like, Eric Lauer because they have a very good lefty lineup now with Jorge Soler, Adam Duvall. I guess Adam Duvall would be the one guy where he always seems to kill the Brewers. But Duvall... Austin Riley, like they have a really strong left-handed hitting or facing a left-handed pitcher uh, power lineup. And that would worry me with Lauer, so I'd probably go with Hauser in that situation. But we'll see. We'll see. There's still there's still a week to go. It, it, who knows how it, how it turns out. But now the Brewers can kind of hang out until that. And that's great. And that's a great sort of rest and recoup for this team. And I'm sure... You're going to see a variety of lineups. I'm sure you're going to see, you know, maybe Burns and Peralta both going down unless Burns feels like he needs to go out there every five days. I don't think they're going to let Peralta go out there. And if they let Burns go out there, I think his leash will be very short. I think it'll be a four-inning leash or a five-inning leash, and then they'll come get him no matter how he's pitching. No matter if he has a no-hitter. No matter if he's cruising through it and has only pitched 65, they're going to be like, no, nah, we're going to get you at five. Like, I think the last thing the Brewers won in this last week is anyone to get hurt and anyone to feel worn out. Everyone should be at their freshest and in their you know most rhythm of how it goes. But I think you'll see Woodruff in game one and Burns in game two, Peralta in game three. I would probably prefer Burns in game one, but I think Woodruff is quote-unquote the ace, and the ace usually gets the ball in game one. So we'll see what happens, though. Um, that Those are decisions for Craig Council to make, as well as the postseason roster. I think there are some interesting conversations with that postseason roster that Mitch and I, I think, will have later this, this week when we do tab in the keg. That'll be a good conversation for us to kind of whittle down what who is on that postseason roster and what do you need from the 25 guys that you'll have out there. Moving on to the Wisconsin Badgers. Uh, at this point, you know, the Badgers are still down bad. But I think a lot of people probably forgot what happened with Wisconsin. If, if Wisconsin picked a better weekend to lose, 
someone pointed out to me because you had the, the Ryder Cup, which we're talking about in a little bit here. You had the Brewers winning the division. You had the Packers winning a dramatic victory against one of their biggest rivals. Like, no one's going to care that the Badgers were absolutely awful against Notre Dame. And it, the score looks a lot worse than the actual game itself. It were two Grand Marts pick six make it look a lot worse than it was. And Graham Mertz, I don't know. I don't know what the future is there for him. And I don't know if it's Paul Chris. I don't know if he is an overvalued prospect. I don't know if it is a combination of the two, but it isn't working right now. And they have had significant issues here offensively. The Badgers have lost seven straight games to ranked opponents. They they have a real problem around their hands, and they need to kind of figure it out. Now, I will always defend the Mertz over Cohen decision because of the long-term effects it has. It is a recruiting thing. You can't just go around and say, all right, we're not going to give this top recruit the every opportunity to succeed. Like putting Mertz on the bench for another year probably would have made sense. But everybody's obsessed with getting guys out there. And they thought like Mertz was going to be ready and he just isn't. And how he hasn't progressed a little bit this year is kind of stunning that Mertz seems to just be the same guy. And so if you're the same guy, is that who you are at quarterback? And do you have to look at Chase Wolf? Now Chase Wolf isn't that good. He is mediocre compared to Graham Mertz just from a talent perspective. But maybe Chase Wolf has the energy to bring Wisconsin kind of back. Because while the season is a little bit lost, I don't think playoffs are a realistic thing for this Wisconsin team. They need to kind of find their spark. They are on the cusp of maybe going one and three with Michigan coming to town this week. And Michigan's very good. Now, I know they had to survive Rutgers, and there would be some talk maybe Michigan isn't as back as we thought they were. But they are a really strong team, and that is not going to be easy. To ask Graham Mertz to go up against that defense just feels a little bit like seeing ghost stuff. Like it felt very Zach, or not Zach Wilson, although you could make the case Zach Wilson has been seeing ghosts for the last few weeks. But it felt very much like Darnold saying, oh, I'm seeing ghosts out there. That's what it felt like with Mertz late. It felt like he just absolutely lost it. And that can't happen. And the Badgers have a good defense, but that's it. The special team's a disaster. I mean, giving up that touchdown after you go up 13-10. to 10, And even the field goal was a disaster in its own right. And the play calling was horrendous. They have to get more innovative. Paul Christ has to pass the ball on more early downs. Now, my friend Tyler, who listens, brought up the fact, well, maybe it's because he doesn't trust Graham Mertz. And if that's the case, then they need to go to Chase Wolf. If they can't trust him to throw the ball on first and second down, they need to go with a new quarterback. Because a Power 5 quarterback who is... I would say experienced at this point. I mean, he's, he's, what, 15 games in? He should be able to know how to 
take care of the football and lead drives with his passing and complementing the run. Now, they also couldn't run the football, and this was a Notre Dame team that was giving up a ton on the ground. Now, a glass-half-full fan could look at this and say, well, maybe Notre Dame finally figured out what they're doing defensively. Notre Dame has always been known for having a good defense. Marcus Freeman, the defensive coordinator for Notre Dame, is one of the best. Like he, he is really fucking good. So if maybe just maybe Notre Dame finally kind of found itself defensively late in that game, and if that's the case, that's only going to bolster Notre Dame's playoff chances going forward. Because they actually have a defensive identity. I don't know if Notre Dame had it early on. So maybe the inability to rush the football is not really a big deal. We'll have to see what what happens with other teams the rest of the year. And maybe that Florida State game was just an anomaly for the Irish run defense. But yes, it it has to something has to change. And they they can't go into Michigan doing the exact same thing. And if they do, you got to at least have a conversation about Paul Christ. Okay? I'm not saying he's on a hot seat. I'm just saying you have to have a conversation. Just like Kurt Ferentz has had conversations about his coaching style throughout the years where Iowa's really struggled. And it's like, what what are you? What's, what's your identity? Who, who are you as a team? And so I'm not going to be surprised if Paul Chris just can't bring the same thing to the table. He just can't do it. It's It, it would be a gross injustice. But we'll see. We'll see what happens. We'll see if Mertz is the quarterback. We got a long way to go to Michigan. But yeah, that's not an easy back-to-back for the Badgers. Um, they, they are definitely going to be up against it, uh, against the Wolverines, even though they are at home this Saturday. This Saturday. Lastly, on the Ryder Cup, this is the longest daily tap in history. We're approaching the hour mark. We're not, I don't know if we'll get there, but Whistling Straits just proves what a great host the state of Wisconsin can be. Um, it was an awesome scene there. It was definitely felt like big time golf throughout the weekend. It never felt like it was a group that was overly rowdy. I know they had an issue with Tyrell Hatton on Saturday, but it was just an awesome time and seeing the U.S. completely dominate in the way that they did just adds to it. And I think I saw my friend Dan say, Wisconsin, the city where champions are crowned and it, it kind of started to feel that way right like you had the bucks you have the Ryder cup now you have the brewers potentially knocking on the door who knows about the packers again long way to go but it, it's like everything is kind of coming up right now for the city and for the state and whistling straits is another example i mean steve stricker getting that title after not winning a major, coming close a couple times, and saying, this is my major, as he's holding back tears. It was incredible. It was, it's why you love team events such as this one. So I'm very stoked for Rome next year. The realization that we're getting another Ryder Cup next year is was just incredible. I was like, oh my God, 
we're running this back next year. Fuck yeah, absolutely. So I am stoked for it. It's one of the best. It is one of the best events in on the sports calendar. Now it was a complete dud because the U.S. dominated. But are you really going to be sad about the U.S. dominating? No, you're not. As Jordan Spieth said, though, the hard part comes next year. So that wraps up an awesome week in Wisconsin. The Brewers and the Packers getting it done and saving the Badgers' face as Badgers will go run and hide. Basketball training camp, I think, starts next week, too. Uh, Man, it, it is all good vibes heading into the week. And we will talk to you tomorrow. Should be another daily tap. We'll start looking ahead to Pittsburgh. Then we will do tapping the keg on Wednesday night for our Thursday show. And then we will have a betting preview on Friday. And that will be it. Reviews probably sparse this week. We'll have some mini kegs and shit. But reviews probably sparse. There's, you know, with the Brewers kind of not playing for anything. Unless we do something cool against the Cardinals. I don't want to talk that shit. And I always will talk that shit. That is my that is my number one goal when doing any of the reviews, which you can find on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter. Uh, under what is it? It's, I think it's tapping the keg sports for TikTok and Instagram, and then tapping the keg for Twitter because Twitter doesn't allow that many characters. All right, I got to bounce. Longest daily tap in history. Was happy to do it with you guys. Back tomorrow. See you. Bye.